Welcome to the Batuta Advocate radio show. You're joined by myself, Clancy Overall, and Wendell Hussey, the Eternal Cadet. Nearly 10 years as a cadet. Yeah, you keep dangling that carrot, Clancy. Um, it always just seems to be just around the corner. I've asked my old man, who's obviously close personal friends with you, sort something out, and he, he reckons he's trying. Well, that's where you went wrong, mate. Yeah, I think he thinks I'm learning a lesson or something. I don't know, but well, frustrating. Yeah, well, you're getting a start here today. Mm. We're uh, interviewing the New South Wales Premier. Now, I've never interviewed this man. Uh, per se, but you actually have on one of the Decode podcasts. Yep, yeah, I spoke to him a little while ago. It was a good, uh, interesting chat. It was a bit of fun as well. I've uh, never interviewed a Premier. I've only interviewed a Deputy Premier of New South Wales in the shape of um, John Barillaro, uh, valet. And, uh, yeah, we've deleted that one. Yeah. Really? Nah. I mean, he, he, he was good character. He was a bit of fun, but he was bullshitting most of the time, which I think he did throughout a lot of his career. I remember you telling me about... You interviewing or spending the weekend with Barnaby? Barnaby, we did a big weekend with Barnaby in Tamworth, which was a hoot. We also did a weekend in Mount Isa with, yeah. the cat, with both catters. Oh, we, really? We stayed in Robbie's house, yeah, and Bob showed us around. You know that rural hospitality rings true, whether it's in Tamworth or Mount mm. Isa. But there was a whole bunch of Barnaby stories that I don't think you aired. Nah, nah, nah. We uh, <laughs> from a journalistic mm, perspective is. Mm. Well, you got to build trust with these. Uh, <laughs> you got to build trust, you know, particularly uh, particularly when we're considered, you know, carpetbaggers coming from Queensland down to down to New South Wales. Well, that's what he did. He was a Queenslander, and he yeah wasn't he in the Senate in Queensland? He was, and he, he was, he, and he was a bouncer in Deer and Bandy, which he's mentioned a few times. Um, Has that been fact checked? I don't know. I, like I, I, don't, I don't know if look, he's a big bloke, but I don't know if there was a Deer and Bandy ringer playing up in the front bar. Barnaby would be the one I'd bring in to stop what was happening. If you know I was I mean? playing up in the front bar, I don't know. If oh, I'd you back bring... yourself again? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, and I'm not saying I'm anything like a Deer and Bandy ringer. I'm just more talking You're about. You're just saying Barnaby. No, you don't want to be ableist, but you don't think Barnaby could uh, restrain you if he had to. No, no. I think like there are certain types of work for certain people, and I don't think. I mean, the fact that it's a hands-on job, obviously, yeah. I don't think that's for him. But just size-wise, I also don't think he would. I don't think anyway. He, I don't think he's done jujitsu, or no. you know, he'd have that roadhouse no. kind of. But he he wouldn't stop. No, no. Yeah, true. Do you know what I mean? Until like, he was he'd on be the like, floor oh, out front of the yeah. pub, he wouldn't. He'd... You guys would restrain. You'd be like, well, this well, is getting we, too heated. Yeah. And Barnaby would be like. Yeah. We're not. We're not going to end. Had a big night of mind sweeping, cleaning up empty glasses <laughs> throughout the pub as he as he crawls through. So he'd be like Quicksilver, like he just couldn't escape him. It'd be like the Terminator. Yeah. 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 You have to. Yeah. He just keep rolling. Yeah. Who Put do you think down. in the New South Wales Parliament is the is is the closest thing to a real bushy? Because I know, um, unfortunately, rural Australians end up getting represented by these creeps that come out of the city and relocate to their grandparents' hometown. Yeah. At uh, 32 years old with a wife and kid that they've managed to create in the space of 18 months. Yeah. Uh, who is a real bushy in New South Wales Parliament? Uh, who'd be a real bushy? Roy Butler. Do you know Butler. Roy Butler? He's pretty – I reckon he's pretty good. Yeah. He's an indie in outside of Dubbo. Yeah. But he's, he represents all the way to Broken Hill and right. around there. He, he's – but he's vegetarian. Really? <laughs> so he's a, he's a former <laughs> member of the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers oh, Party, yeah, he's and he's a vegetarian. He's a veg, he's a vego, yeah. and he's quite strict about it too. But 
I I kind of I think that adds to his credibility almost. You yeah, know, he, we, yeah, like, yeah. That is um, that I mean he's a contrarian by the sounds of things. Yeah. Like, I'd love to see a meeting with his constituents who literally farm cattle for a living. He'd have to be pretty honest out that way. As I well. mean, also the thing about those kind of vegetarians is. Like a, the alpha male vegetarian has oh. to make it a thing. Like no, you know who it, it's def, it's Helen Dalton. Helen Dalton. Helen Dalton. She's the the biggest the bushy. Yeah, yep. absolutely. So the Nats tried to recruit her, and they said we'll give you a roll gold run in, and you can have our pre selection. We won't do it. And she just told them to go jump, and then she ran as an independent. Yeah. And she won. Yeah. Like she's mm. she's she gives us a it's massively hard time, but you know. Happening more and more. Now, you are obviously the Premier of uh, NSW, which stands for Newcastle, Sydney and Wollongong. <laughs> what are your feelings about, you know, the the the, the, the regions? I know that tree change has been a big thing for people uh, ever since the pandemic, really. It probably started a bit before that when the housing crisis became very evident in about 2017. What are, you, what are your feelings? Like, we, you know, we, some of these towns are beautiful, right? You've got rivers running through them. You've got all this foliage. But you've also got one base hospital for, you know, an area the size of Belgium and a 69-year-old doctor who's the only person who knows how to deliver a baby. What are we going to do about the regions? Well, a few things. I mean, firstly, so much of the state's wealth is driven by regional New South Wales, whether it's agriculture or mining or even as we're moving into critical minerals, like they're at the epicentre of that growth. As a result of that, I don't think a lot of people in Sydney, and you know, I am, I've only ever lived in Sydney, I'm, I'm, my electorate's in Sydney, so I have to do a lot of travel to get into the regions to completely understand what's happening. One in three people don't live in Sydney in New South Wales. So what we need to do is make sure that they continue to grow, which is not is is not as hard as you think because A, there's so many entrepreneurial people that want to start businesses that are that are prepared to put their own capital in. And then B, make sure that we can put the infrastructure in place so that you can raise a family in regional New South Wales and you get a good education. Um, and that you've got access to health services. The health part of it's the hardest bit, um, primarily because... You'd say that's the hardest bit about services in the bush. It is. And the main reason for that is you're seeing a real centralisation or specialisation in, in health services, particularly as they get better and better. So it might be, I don't know, automated robots that are doing keyhole surgeries that you know cost a lot of money and you can roll them out to base hospitals, but it's difficult to do under the old model, which was basically you replicate every service in every part of the state, but just less of it. So in St George Hospital in the middle of Cogra, we would have, I don't know, say 20 doctors or something in the ICU in the emergency department. Well, you replicate all those services, but there's only five in a regional community, for example. It doesn't work like that anymore. So what you're saying is the key to staffing up our rural hospitals is to replace them with robots. <laughs> Pretty do sure I didn't say have, any of that. <laughs> do the robots have God complexes as well? Is that inbuilt or is that something they um, they take out of the robots? Not, not currently, but I understand with AI that yeah. we're on the way to that. That's exactly yeah. what we're on the way to. No, I was stirring before. But the thing is, it's easy to move to the bush and, and join this wave of people that are now filling up you know, houses and, uh, and you know, all the, all the people that were already in the regions and, and, and are now having families that are growing and these towns are getting bigger. 
it's easy to do that with all you know the technology we do um, get to enjoy nowadays, particularly after the pandemic. A lot of people who were in the city can now uh, work remotely from the bush. But how do we attract people who have skills that are needed in the bush to move there? Um, partly that's happening naturally, as, as, as you said, as a result of two things. I mean, just to tell a story, I, in the election campaign, I ran into a fella who was a bit older than I am, but had been in a town out of um, Goulburn for the last 25 years. And he said the first 15 years was a story of decline. So the, the, uh, the town elders would talk about, you know, the last person to leave town, can, t- can you turn out the light and all that. Questions about um, uh, empty shop fronts, uh, unused land, da 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 da. And he goes, then, so that was the story for the first 15 years. And the last 10 years, it was in Braidwood. Yeah. So sort of not far out of Queanbeyan mm. Campbell. That's where they well. filmed the Ned Kelly film starring Mick Jagger. Did they? Is that right? Yeah. Anyway, the last 10 years, he said the exact opposite, like um, massively sped up. Mm-hmm. So, so other problems, so lack of infrastructure not enough labour, housing costs through the roof, driving away particularly young people from moving into the town. And um, he said, but it's funny because, you know, 20 years ago we would have killed for these times, but now now the time has hit where people want to move to our community, invest capital, grow their businesses, and we're not ready for it. So I think in some ways it's about um, preparing for the wave and making sure that, you know, to use a surfing metaphor in the bush, um, that you're on the right side of that wave when it hits. And there's things that we can do to, do, to get that going. Like um, one of the main ones is in, that, in the planning department in that council, they still had the same, generalising probably mm. a bit, but they had the same person who's responsible for development applications and they would traditionally do, I don't know, 20 a year. And now there's like five or six times that number, but they're still only got the one person going through it in the same way. Yeah. And, and and they still have to be carved off a block of land for each DA that goes through as well. Yeah, so. like... Well, for their wife, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Wife's sister, I think. <laughs> if you have any knowledge of any corrupt behaviour, <laughs> you've got a duty to report it. But um, So, yeah, we've got to do better, I think, in in helping them get, get in front of it and, and ride this opportunity. Mm. You mentioned housing there and... There's been obviously this ongoing debate for years and years. It sparked up a little bit recently um, in terms of Sydney being the city with no grandchildren. Um, what is happening down there? Is it as bad as everyone says? It is, it's it's worse. Mm. It's worse on any statistic. Housing in Sydney is terrible, and um, we're trying to do something about it. And we're hitting we're hitting a lot of resistance. The major changes that we're bringing about are density. Sydney is the 830th densest city in the world, and yet by most measures we're in the top five when it comes to being the most expensive. Sydney and Melbourne are roughly the same size, like to give or take, um, greater Sydney and greater Melbourne, yet the average house price in Sydney is $500,000 more than Melbourne. And last year, despite the fact that we've got higher... Median, Melbourne's not that bad. Yeah, well, well Melbourne's about... Average house price is nine hundred thousand, which is really extremely expensive. Sydney, mm. it's one point five million for a house. So unless you get money from mum or dad or grandparents or an inheritance or, or so, you're not 
you're not going to buy in Sydney. Two weeks ago, there were stats that said we're losing twice as many young people to Sydney as we're gaining. Twice as many between the ages of 30 and 40. And that group of people are the ones that start businesses, join communities, coach um, soccer Mm -hmm. and football and cricket, baseball, basketball. And if you lose them, then you lose your productive base. And I think you you also lose some intangible things, which is your energy and your culture and your your sense of, I don't know, excitement in the city. Do you know what you're up against here, though? Do you realise you're up against a swathe of highly, highly vocal... Uh, men named Bruce and women named Diane who wear salmon polo shirts and are aged in their mid-60s to early 70s who have decided they want to live in a terrace house because they enjoy coffee and they like being near major hospitals but they don't like the sound of live music after 9pm. You've painted a, a vivid picture there. Like, uh, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yep. Um, Who seem to have far more political capital than any of these stupid, meaningless young people. Well, I mean, if you don't have young people, you don't have a future. Cities around the world do it in different ways, but no one does it worse than Sydney. They're the facts. So last year we built 48,000 houses. Melbourne or Victoria built 58,000, even though we've got a larger population. So I do know what we're up against, but I do get the sense that for the first time in perhaps decades, there's like a crack in the wall and that many people are saying, well, well there's got, something's got to change because the mm. costs are just so extreme. Um, and it doesn't mean, by the way, if you have more supply that everybody's house prices are going to go down. Mm-hmm. They're, li- they're likely and largely to stay the same. And in yep. fact, in some areas, if it's rezoned, their personal house will go up. Mm-hmm. It's just that you'll have a, new, a whole bunch of new housing on the market that will fit a particular slot, which currently we are going nowhere near catering for. So, so let me, let's talk about the terrace house here. Terrace houses are beautiful. Not much light, um, but you know the front and the back room are lovely. They are very much protected by heritage law, and so they should be. But, you know, the 40 metres above them isn't protected by heritage law. Why don't we just put a slab over the top of all of these terrace houses and go up? Well, I mean, I don't know if we need to do that in the first case, um, but that might be an option. There's a ton of places where we can do two things in particular, build unit blocks, not high rise between medium density, medium density, as well as new terraces in communities where there are already transport links and transport lines. And then um, other forms of, you know, high rise, particularly along major transport metro lines. Mm -hmm. So that's where we're focusing on in the first instance. Mm -hmm. We call them the missing middle. So that not, not, quarter acre blocks and not high rise but that part in the middle which you know for example large parts of suburbs like Brooklyn and um, many of that inner ring in Melbourne look like we don't have them in Sydney we did we did and for a while there the city planners were specifically looking at growing Sydney flats down there the medium density with a bit of with a bit of green space in between the blocks 100% It, it works really well people love living in and near it they're attractive and interestingly they were built to a style and one of the things that we're trialing can i just i'll take it back a step if you don't mind Mm. you know when you were saying earlier 
what are you up against? Mm. I think we're up against people who are never, ever going to change and basically are more than happy for house prices well, to the, continue the to post-war go post-war Caucasian Australians never made a compromise once in their life. So, you know, they're, they're not going to change now, especially not in their twilight years. So some of them will never change. I think there's another group that are just next to that who are like, all I've seen in terms of density is crap. Mm. All the suburbs that apparently have been densified look terrible to me. Mm. I'm not. I'm not buying it. Yeah. Now we we've got. Legoland. We've yeah. got to. We've got to make a big pitch to them, and we've got to go to because I think they're by and large reasonable people, and try and say to them, um, if we do this right with open space on public transport lines, the the housing can look beautiful. Then you can buy in on on a different version of Sydney, not the one that has been in place previously, but yeah. something that you can get behind. Because when people travel to cities, not not just the big ones, like I always mention New York and London, mm. but even even Auckland yep. is a beautiful, beautiful city. Yep. They do density extremely well, and no one would say, "God, what an urban jungle!" I, I don't even want to travel yep. there. In fact, people say the opposite. Well, it, I mean, the one thing that we can all agree it's it will be compromised in all of this is that quarter acre block that everyone's grandparents were able to buy and ride in 1958. That's probably not realistic in a city of six million plus for young families anymore. Well, yeah, unless you've got millions unless and millions got of dollars, mm-hmm. yeah. But, but you're saying we need to recondition a population, not only to expect a bit of noise, uh, but we also need to recondition a population to think that maybe you have to walk up a flight of stairs or go in a lift and maybe you need to have prams left in the lobby of your building that you now live in. Um, and we have to develop a whole new kind of... Uh, approach to housing in the in the, in the in the sense of medium density is going to be the way that we are raising families now. Medium density's got to be part of it, and what that would do is allow someone who has a property, made they're not personally billionaires or um, major developers in Sydney, the opportunity to do something with their own land. And um, one of the ways we're trying to do that, and I think this is an innovation that could really work is have an international design competition to have um, almost an off-the-shelf pattern book approach to a couple of designs. Mm. So a villa, um, a townhouse, a multi-unit dwelling. We want to build them first, the government architects organising the, um, the government architects organising the competition. Mm. And if you build to that pattern, then we'll give you an ease of approval through local government through the state government and so i hope people when we finish the designs and they're released to the public that two things happen firstly builders go well i can build that Mm. and the component parts of it in theory will be cheaper because they'll be done on mass but there's an aesthetic too but there's an aesthetic too and if you look at terrace houses and the things that people love or even the art deco buildings in the eastern suburbs they were all built to a design right and that wasn't just a vibe. No, it yeah. wasn't like every man for himself, what are we all going to do? It yeah. was like, I really like that. The government encouraged that particular style. Yeah. And we like uniformity. Like We like looking at it and we like uh, picking up patterns, particularly in urban planning. Yeah. So anyway, the long, this is a long way of saying that some people are never going to change, but if we can convince some people, oh, look, urban density can actually be bloody beautiful and yeah. fantastic for a city and, by the way, give young people a place to live, that's what we're going for. The other thing I think to this that doesn't seem to be spoken about enough is there were a million empty dwellings on census night. And obviously that was because some people were in different places, et cetera, et cetera. But research following that showed that there are basically a million empty dwellings around Australia. 
a lot of that seems to come back to the fact that we've turned what was essentially a human right into a commodity to be bought and sold and traded and for people to appreciate their wealth. Obviously, it's an asset more than a milestone. It's, it's an yeah. asset more than a place to, you know, more than sleep ship, and live, etc. Et yeah, yeah. yeah. So obviously your hands are tied a little bit at a state level in terms of what can be done on that front. But things like negative gearing and capital gains concession taxes and all that sort of stuff, capital gains tax concession, sorry, changing that stuff to peel back housing from being basically assets back to what it was intended for, which is a house, a home, somewhere for someone to live. Where do you stand on doing that and bringing about changes that basically stop it being the trading of an asset? Yeah, look, I haven't called for it. And the main reason for that, like it's the elephant in the room, is that the Labor Party took a big swing at it, Mm. ran a whole election campaign on it, and we got beat um, twice on on that policy. Federally, that was. Federally, yeah. So I'm in the art of the possible, and we want to pursue policies that can get mass support. And I think the changes that we've announced can do that. Now, if federal Labor want to pursue that policy, you know, that's a matter for them. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll have a look at it if they release it mm. or if they change their mind. But a couple of things I've got to say is that people in my position in the past, because the density laws and the and the zoning changes have been so difficult because you pick a fight with a lot of communities, have gone, oh, this is all the federal government's fault. It's either immigration or it's either uh, – preferential tax treatments around housing and that gets me off the hook it gets me through interviews like Mm. this and i can go on radio and and i can do everything by just saying it's all the federal government's fault problem is it doesn't change anything and so we bit the bullet and went well i could talk about all this stuff till i'm blue in the face but at the end of the day the according to the productivity commission and everyone who's independently looked at it the reason sydney housing is so astronomically out of kilter with the economy and people's ability to pay is that there's not enough housing. And can I tell you, like, this this should paint the picture. We produce six houses per 1,000 people every 12 months. Like, this is the this is the metric they use. So six per 1,000 people every 12 months. Yeah. Victoria produces eight and Queensland produces nine. Mm-hmm. And if you stack that up, that's been the case since 1992. So if you stack that up year after year after year after year after year, eventually you get these giant spreads where people, young people just can't afford to live yeah. anymore. Now, you made the mistake, uh, Premier, of using the term the art of the possible here. <laughs> I want to talk about the culture that you mentioned that we are losing with the biggest city in Australia now being a city with our grandchildren. Are you aware that one in four shop fronts on Parramatta Road are vacant? Maybe more? I didn't. I don't know the number, but it wouldn't surprise me. So this is back to the land banking thing. The value of a commercial property is tied to the yield. If no one can afford to rent that place, whether that's Crown Street or indeed Oxford Street or Parramatta Road, if no one can afford that, basically what they're saying, what what I'm saying is, if you want to open up a pita bread store or a ice cream store in one of these former vibrant uh, eat streets or you know shopping precincts you have to be the very best you have to be the messina ice cream with the red rope out the front there's no way you're going to be able to afford it otherwise unless you are absolutely popping and you need to do that consistently because otherwise you're not going to be able to afford the rent and the reason the rent is so high and they won't lower it is because the yield is tied to the value of the property now that just means it's basically a ponzi scheme they're willing to leave these things empty destroy the face of the busiest city in 
in Australia, the once or the most populated city in Australia, and uh, and and just sit on it, and just sit and wait until I don't know they're ready to sell or whatever they're going to do. Do you think in when we talk about the art of the possible, you could go down this the the, the path of Vancouver and just put an empty properties tax on it? Because that that also you know if these things are filled up with shop fronts with people who can you know pay a realistic rent then we've, when we've got more jobs for young people to live in this city with our grandchildren yeah I mean we don't have plans to do that um, I'm not sure of any Australian state that's pursued it maybe I'm wrong we have we have other interventions like we've got an invest we've got a foreign investor surcharge of eight percent on st- and stamp duty and things like that to try and level up the playing field for domestic and international that's that's not what you're talking about. I know Parramatta Road is not working, and there's a lot of strips and high streets that aren't working in Sydney. There are. I mean, we can blame Westfield, we can blame online shopping, but the fact of the matter is, people love going to the farmers markets on a Saturday. Why wouldn't they just go to the shops in the in, you know in in a, in a street which is right near where they live? Yeah, I mean, uh, the the kind of genealogy of a, of a high street I find really vexing. I don't understand why some streets pop and and others just don't. And I don't understand the the chemistry of it. Like um, I'd, in my own electorate, we've got I've, in the adjacent electorate, we've got um, almost the exact same conditions: train station, upwardly mobile uh, community. You know, a lot of young professionals, and the high street's dead. And then two over, you've got just the place is pumping, and and it attracts a lot more people, and probably gets people from the neighbouring suburbs. I don't understand. I don't understand the alchemy of it. They're big interventions, you know, those big uh, vacancy taxes, and they have all these, you know, consequences that I'd have to think through. As in, you might get voted out by Debbie and Bruce. Well, that is a concern. (laughs) We always have to think about that, boys. What we are doing, though, when it comes to land banking on a lot of these SEP changes is we're we're building in use it or lose it provisions Mm -hmm. because I do accept that. For some people, for some property developers, they make an assumption that the zoning, if let's just say it goes from four to eight, and then the yield on the property or the value of the property goes up on books, you don't have to do anything, you don't have to commit any capital, you've got the asset. Yeah. They work on the assumption that it'll never drop back down to four. In fact, it could go to 10 or 12, right? I mean, so it's a market, right? Don't do anything with it. We're gonna put, we're building in use it or lose it provisions in the SEP. In the, in, the, in the proposed changes. So therefore, yes, there's an opportunity for you to build, but if you don't, it'll revert back to its original zoning, which a lot of councils are like, great, we don't want the zoning anyway, so they'll enforce it. And I'm hopeful that that drives a lot of the... Uh, the, the, the land banking yeah. out of it. Mm. Now, you mentioned uh, before cities like New York and London and cities like Auckland, but when you are talking about places like New York and London... There's this assumption of economic diversity, you know, in these places, whether it's, you know, migrant communities of Brixton or, the, you know, the rent control of Brooklyn where firemen and nurses and teachers can live uh, within 45 minutes of their job. What What's the plan in, in this city with our grandchildren? Mike Baird was very interested in putting dyna- blocks of dynamite underneath the social housing towers and just, you know, creating not only a children... A city without grandchildren, but also a city without poor people. What is your plan to kind of integrate people? Because we are, 
Um, and every city's the same. Heading down this path of where we're going to actually have people who've grown up without meeting anyone from the other side of the track. Even that uh, new inner city public school that they're building just off Redfern on Cleveland Street, uh, Cleveland Street Boys High, the old, the new high-rise high school. Um, I'm not sure if it's still the case, but when that was opened, the catchment of that school ended on Cleveland Street. So that the kids from Wallara were not going to be at school with the poor kids across the road in the Redfern and Waterloo Towers. How do you plan on uh, giving people a little bit of a, uh, a taste of you know what is out there in a society? What's the plan for social housing? Well, a couple of things. Firstly, we made a decision that we're going to have to be our own real estate developers on government land. There's a lot of government land in New South Wales the taxpayers own, and we're going to have to put housing on on a lot of it. What um, are we talking? We're talking on the back of Burke, or are we talking? No, well, a little bit actually, that, and that is important. That is important for regional communities. Yeah, because, I get, I, yeah, I understand that. But, but we're, no, we're talking we're, about mass social housing. No, we're talking in Sydney. Yeah. Now, as part of that, we've made a decision that thirty percent of it needs to be social or affordable housing within whatever we build. Now, that's ten percent higher than New York. An important part of ensuring that we build up our social housing stock in the state. I think the, la- I think the latest figures were that there's 55,000 families or people on the social housing waiting list, so monster numbers. Mm-hmm. So that's the first way. Second, secondly, we've put tens of millions of dollars into the last budget. I imagine there'll be more in this coming budget for remediation on our housing stock. And we're following the same rules so that we're pursuing with our changes to density. So we've got a lot of quarter acre blocks that were built in the inner ring of Sydney for returning diggers after the Second World War. In fact, there was Labor governments in New South Wales after the Second World War. The soldier settlement camps. Exactly. And there was coalition governments in Victoria. And as a result of that, the social housing stock in New South Wales is a lot larger than it is in other states because the Labor government felt they had a social mission to build social housing. The other states didn't. The problem is that it didn't continue. It hasn't continued since then. And for the last 10 years, there's either been, well, two things have happened. Either it's been comprehensively sold off or it's been run into the ground. So the maintenance budget's a mess. And um, Mm -hmm. There's certain things. There's certain, um, I think if the toilet's broken, they can condemn it. You know, that, that was basically... Um, the case in a lot of South Sydney. So, yeah, run into the ground. And we've, we've got actually the Albanese government's given us hundreds of millions of dollars which have to go exclusively into social housing. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm getting there. So basically 30% of government land would put millions along with the Commonwealth government into rehabilitating our existing housing stock. We're doing a massive build-to-rent program in the New South Wales south coast and the north coast. Does the government own those, those blocks? Um, built to rent, or is that going to be we're partly, Harry Triggerboff? We're partly funding them, yeah, um, and we're and we're doing it with social housing providers in different ones in the north coast and the south coast, and there's more to come. So we're not done yet. Okay. Mm. Now, Clancy, we've um, we've got caught in the old Sydney trap where we uh, just start talking about property. Oh and yeah, we never, of course, we never yeah. stop. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Love a dinner party in Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> we, have, we probably need to move on to property prices in certain suburbs. Yeah. Or what's moving? How much would a Queensland, you know, in Brisbane, like if you yeah. go to Brisbane, one of those Queenslanders, how much would they set you? Yeah, back? some of those nice. That, ones. Oh, really? That cheap. Moving on to, to some real issues, Mr. Albanese's bucks. 
Um, we <laughs> believe you are in that group chat, Chris. Um, <laughs> what's the plan? Bali long weekend, uh, AFL grand final and NRL grand final weekend in Bali. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure what his vibe would be. I mean, it'd be some kind of Australian music thing he'd do. I'm sure he'd use his chops as the prime minister to get. Mm. I don't know who he's been. Nick Cave, I think's potentially going. Really? That's what yeah. we heard. Yeah. Um, I heard Nick. Well, what's what's the protocol about getting one of your friends to perform though? Not that he's my friend, but I presume yeah, the I prime minister knows Nick Cave. I Nick Cave would know every Australian prime minister intimately. I would yeah. imagine. Yeah. And he'll. Be, I don't think he'll perform. He'll, I mean, maybe he'll be like feeling himself in the little, in the corner doing a little thing here and there. But he's probably not going to perform for the Bucks party. But I guess you know. You don't get that many. Oh, you just don't get much Aussie rock in Bali. I suppose some of those in Bali, you can go to those like walkabout bars where they just play cold chisel nonstop. I've never been mm-hmm. to. Have you? I've never been to Bali. I actually haven't been to <laughs> Indonesia seven times, Chris. Going for <laughs> my eighth <laughs> this year. You know, Good on so you, mate. As a uh, young, did you grow up in Queensland? Perth? <laughs> no, no, I grew up in regional Queensland. Oh, okay, right. so it, was just, it was just part um, of the mining boom. So. <laughs> yeah, you just you try and get there every kind of six months or so. It's, a, it's, it's a like a FIFO. Maybe yeah, you are yeah. Balinese and you're yeah. like. Flying in, flying out to yeah. Australia. Well, yeah, a bit of that. I did consider at one point just setting up there. But look, if you guys, you? I, is it I, good? Is it fun? Oh, like great. a lot. You know what? A lot of people from Sydney have done that. There was like the Bondi to Byron to Bali crowd. That was a wave mm. of all the, um, you know, of all the yo- the original yoga crowd. But also a lot of like those uh, surfy lads from uh, Kuji South to mm. Cronulla have all gone over there and set up. Have they? Uh, yeah, they just surf and they uh, build villas and um, have business partners over there. Yeah. I don't know whether I'd go to Bali. Maybe. Well, you have to for the buck, surely. Uh, yeah, it's hard to get to the weekend in. Do you reckon he'd do his VIP jet or we'd all have to get Jetstar over? What do they call it? Toto One? Yeah. Um, no, nah, no. Nah. Uh, mind you, what was that one the other day? Qantas had to get all those Swifties. To Sydney from mm. Melbourne. The Swifty Express. Yeah, Swifty Express. They brought out an A380. Did you go to Taylor Swift? No, no, I missed that um, that hysteria. But it was interesting, right, watching that uh, because what did she do? She did more shows in Sydney than Melbourne. Mm. Well, well, look, we had over 100 tabs open in the newsroom when the tickets went on sale. We just, yeah, couldn't, we just get get couldn't get them. You didn't get any? No, no we, no. we laptops, phones, really? desktop computers. Yeah, yeah, we just couldn't. Well, I mean, everyone but wants. Did that take you back, that, that Taylor mania that took over the city? Did that take you back to your heyday? And I'm not going to, you know, accuse you of anything here, but I imagine you were a bit of a fun boy during the Olympics, you know, down there in Darling Harbour, dancing, whatever. That Taylor Mania made it look like Sydney had a few grandchildren. Yeah. Uh, made it look like a vibrant city. It's a shame it's only four days every <laughs> have eight years. to get it years. back every yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every 12 months. Yeah. Uh, Brisbane, see, Brisbane's got the Olympics within reach now. Yeah. And you can actually feel that vibe. They're going so hard on, on vibrance and, and culture. And it's been coming for a while. They had the big sound, you know, music, trying to pitch themselves as a bit of yep. an Austin, Atlanta type. Uh, what's your plan to get the cross and, and you know, and, and Darling Harbour and Oxford Street ripping again? We do have detailed plans. So everything from UFC mm-hmm. to annual events. The focus for us, like genuinely, is to try and get something on the calendar every year. Mm. So, like, if you're a UFC nut, then you know that they have the numbered event in Sydney yep. and you can kind of save for it, prepare for it, get mm. to your Bam friends. Bam Bam's going to knock out some sort of Hungarian person in front of you. At, yeah, uh, well, that didn't happen, but <laughs> the, the opposite happened. But anyway, 
But you know, that, that the 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 annual events are the best ones because I'll tell you why. Because the, by the third year, we know what we're doing. The promoter knows what they're doing. The fan knows what they're doing, and basically, it's just repeat business. And Victoria mm-hmm. does that pretty well, actually, because they got you know oh, AFL Grand Final, yeah. F one, blah, Australian Open. Whereas we've been going for. I don't know, Bayern Munich versus Sydney FC for one time. I'm not saying – I'm not knocking that. That's probably a great event if you loved it. Mm. But it's very hard to build your event calendar around it. So we're doing things like that, trying to get to a more long-distance view and have um, things that people can build their their lives around. Um, But can I tell you the main – the main thing we're trying to do is I, I don't know if you can predict trends or w- mm. what's going to be the next artist. You just need young people and you need young people in your city and it goes back to our original thing, getting back to property prices. <laughs> Unless you have young people in your city, it's not going to be a fun city. So imagine yeah. this. Albanese's Bucks is going to be fine because it's a bunch <laughs> of people, middle-aged men who are going to Bali to... I don't know, Do unspeakable things. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, get as pissed as humanly possible and listen to Nick Cave. But imagine four blokes, imagine the in-betweeners, you know, four dorks could come from England, they could come from Brisbane, they land in Sydney on a Friday afternoon. Yeah. What are you telling them to do? Um, well, a few things. I think the best, the most magical thing about Sydney is the national parks that surround it. Mm-hmm. Like it is properly unique and c- completely underappreciated. And mm-hmm. like if... Because you come into Sydney and the airport's in the middle, you don't really appreciate it. If you kind of were, were stumbling across Sydney mm-hmm. and you went through this thick national park and then you stumble a, a, across this, it's almost like the lost city of Atlantis or something. Like it's it's, it's very unique and it means that wherever you're staying, you're equidistant to a very close, pristine mm-hmm. wilderness. Now that is almost impossible to replicate anywhere else in the world. Mm-hmm. And so I would say to people, and I do it, I try and do it a lot with my kids, just get into a national park, like it, and and the fact that you can go bushwalking, have something to eat, um, see world class mm. sites, mm. and then go and have a lunch on the harbour, like yeah. it's it's unbelievable. And then as the sun sets, you can go to a pub that haven't cleaned the carpet for like three years and has just run off Pokemon. Oh yeah, that's and fun. yeah, I guess no, you, you go get to like, the casino too. Yeah. Um, well, we're working on that too. <laughs> <laughs> I just you know, to, down, I down the you. south coast as well. Like this isn't in Sydney, but down the south coast, I tell I tell mm. to people right in Marim in Marimbula, you can surf in the morning and you can ski in the afternoon on the same day. Have mm. lunch in the middle. Yeah, two hours from each other. Yeah. There's yeah. maybe five places in the whole world where you could do that. Yeah. It's 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 I. I think we kind of skate by on how beautiful it is at first glance and not realise that even underneath the surface, it's even better. I want to give you a shout out there for just mentioning Don't get Melbourne. cynical about it, no, boys. It's, no, it's yeah, a I'm, properly awesome city. Yeah, yeah, no. No, we had yeah. plenty of fun down there. Now, there is an issue, though. There is an issue with Homebush. And there I know is. He's been I'm, pantsed by Homebush multiple times for Matilda's games or whatever. Wendell, Getting out. Yeah. What's what's the go there? Do you think maybe that the geographical centre of Sydney, as it's been pitched, might not be that accessible? Well, I think the city's big enough to have a few venues. Like, that is going to... Homebush is going to be our big barn for major events. And it does do that job. Like, the old Olympic Stadium, I was telling someone yesterday, actually, in a budget meeting, it's come in handy recently because we got four nights of taylor swift we got most of the matilda's games we got all the finals Mm. for the world cup 
you know, there's the Bledders. Like, they have to come to Sydney because there's not many places that have that gigantic stadium. And that's not too dissimilar to um, Wembley in London, which is not any team's home ground, but is the national their national team's home ground. Yeah. Twickenham sort of does a similar thing. So we need it, and basically you need the space for a big event. Mm. I think it kind of works well with the, the more park changes as well, which is smaller, a bit more intimate. Um, we're trying to get more concerts and cultural events in both of them. A couple of pubs <laughs> wouldn't hurt. Yeah. Um, look, the, that big bar they've got going out there seems to be doing all right. And <laughs> as, as Clancy mentioned, I've been to a few events out there. Um, you can get beer out there, presumably. I'm you not can, saying You that. can get beer. Yeah. You can do all that. Oh, do you reckon the Swifties went to the Hotel Concord for a slap with <laughs> a couple cold jars? <laughs> Lincoln Hotel, I think. That's where most of them were. <laughs> but... The the transport out there is often okay. There's there seems to be more and more vendors popping up, particularly around the Matildas game. You know, it's good. You fly down from Queensland, you go out there, you get a taste of some food. Vendors around there, there's a great vibe. The thing that seems to happen every single time I've been out there, and it perplexes me, and I I get pretty perplexed at about I don't know midnight, maybe after a few beers, and I'm kind of standing out the front of um, Homebush Station in a in a cattle crush, moving along. There's four platforms at that station yep and there only ever seems to be one train coming every five maybe seven maybe eight minutes right with what seems like 20 30 thousand people trying to get onto the train yeah why is there never enough trains for events that are always forecast to have anywhere between 50 60 70 80 100 thousand people the greatest bin fire was luke coombs the same night as matilda's yep. that was a fucking shit show yeah i was i was at the game and then, um, and then I got a call uh, at about eleven saying it's going bad, and I, I, my driver drove me back to Homebush, and I was on the station till one o'clock in the morning apologising to people. And Luke Coombs fans were going, "What, what are you talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess there's a, two different demographics in Homebush that night. Um, and that's so fantastic that, that was, and that's that was, appreciated. But no, no, look, that was a disaster and, uh, and and it was not good. It was just a shocker. Um, it was re- it was a really bad night. Oh, look, there was a signals failure. Just everything went bad at the same time. In terms of the four platforms and the um, the train, I don't – like I'm not a expert when trains, yeah. but I, there's four platforms, but I think there's only one track, so they'd all run into each other if – Okay. Yeah. So logistically, could we look at getting a couple of tracks just outside? So for other stations around the world, it seems like they have the trains waiting there. And it's like bang, pull up, bang, pull up, and they roll yeah. out on a time. I line. can look at it. I mean, I it's a branch line, so yeah. so it goes Lidcombe, Homebush, and then back to Lidcombe. Yeah, and it was kind of built that way. Um, we are investing twenty six billion dollars on that Metro West line, so that'll go from Hunter Street to Westmead. And we've got big plans for the, um, you know, a whole bunch of housing along it. We've got an MOU with the ATC for Rose Hill. I mean, I know when cities grow, um, oftentimes you get kind of not settlements but outposts, mm. and then over time you fill in the gaps, mm. fill in between the bones. That's what we will do in the, in that part of Sydney, and that inner west run yeah. along the Parramatta River will have a lot more people, a lot more young people. It'll have. The, the brand new world class metro line, and um, I reckon it'll be an awesome place to live. Mm. 
Um, but we're not there yet. I, I accept that. We're not there yet. We've, you've, you've, you've given us a lot of time. Thank you. You've been very generous, um, especially considering we've just kind of thrown a lot of um, hospital passes at you. But I do want to ask, what has – there's a lot of positivity coming out of you and a lot of plans, but what has been the toughest thing to get over the line that you believe you needed to get over the line? Um, oh, the, re- the tough thing is the, the economy – right now in like the two hits of inflation and interest rates it mean it just puts pressure on everyone it makes um our workers unhappy because they can't pay their mortgage pretty good reason to be unhappy or can't pay your rent and it puts pressure on you know the government to come to the table come up with solutions and the whole world's going through it so you know i'd love to get through that inflation interest rate Mm you know meeting we've got to try and move our way through that it's really hard really really hard and i can i just feel for people as well because they can't work any harder it's not like you can add another day to the week and put in a few more hours driving an uber like you just can't do anything more and and yeah so that drives me a bit nuts i'm I'm really hopeful starts to work inflation starts to drop and people can keep more of the money that they earn the golfers seem to have a bit of an issue with you that looked like it was a hard one to get over the line, the fact that you were going to be minimising golf courses uh, yeah. for, for, for housing, I guess. Chris Chavez over here. <laughs> <laughs> we're, not, we're not putting housing on, on that. <laughs> That's some of the golfers' charge on us, yeah. but we're not actually doing that. So, um, what is the yarn? I haven't actually been tuned in. I just saw it. So we're taking – there's, there's the Moor Park Golf Course, yeah. downtown Sydney. Mm. It's 18 holes. We're reducing it to nine, and we're, we're giving the other nine back to the community for oh, so community parkland, green space. Oh, yep. Right. And I, I was talking to Paul Keating actually about Barangaroo. Like he he really drove Barangaroo. It was it was effectively his idea, and I was talking to him about it, and he went like, "It's a place where people can go." He goes down there. Imagine Paul Keating just sitting on a rock looking at <laughs> families and stuff. But anyway, he goes there, and he said, "You don't have to spend any money." You can turn up on a ferry. I guess you pay a nominal amount for that. And you can take your, your friends who've come from overseas. It doesn't cost you anything. And it's just world-class and beautiful. And I thought, well, that's true. And that's what downtown parks can give you. And, yeah, we've got a lot of them. We've got Centennial, we've got Hyde, we've got uh, Barangaroo. But basically, if you're going to have density, you can't have enough. Because that's that's I think that kind of that mix of high-rise, business, commerce, and then just a beautiful park all within a really tight – is, is what makes cities beautiful. Mm. Well, there it is. There it is. And just one last question, Chris, <laughs> on a no, on a more, um, maybe it's a more personal note, but I believe two years sober yes. you are. Yep. I just wanted to ask about how that's been navigating political life. Like, obviously there... Obviously, in federal parliament, you have yeah. to get as pissed as possible every <laughs> single night, yeah, and mix you know mix your mix your booze with whatever yeah. else. And you're also you know in I assume a lot of conversations with people all the time. Sometimes those conversations might be painful and would be made easier <laughs> by yeah. a cold schooner or a yeah. yeah. You gotta you do have to. A friend of mine did it before me, and he said you got to work on your chat game, like yeah. your social mm. interaction, because because if you dr- if you're drinking then. It's like a lot easier. Mm. It comes out of you. So the riz has gone up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we've got to work on that. I reckon, well, honestly, it's been life-changing for me. Major difference to everything, all parts of my life. I um, probably, I was leaning on it too heavily. And um, I was talking to my wife after I'd given it up. And she's like, yeah, I thought you might come to that conclusion. I didn't, you know, 
Mm. She didn't want to say anything to me about it. I wish she did. But look, jokes aside, it was massive, a massive positive difference for me. So mm. I don't, it's not for everybody, but um, feel happier, feel mm. more energetic. I feel, I used to wake up in the morning and dread the day. Yeah. It'd kind of lift by about 10 o'clock. Yeah. But first thing in the morning, I'd be like, what have I got on today? I'm going to get belted here and yep. here and here and yep. here. And now I wake up and I'm not euphoric or anything mm. like that. I'm just ready, ready to go. And I just, for me, I, I, I can't go back. For other people, it'd be different. I don't regret any of my, my drinking days. Like I had the best times. Mm. I had so many great memories and I had experiences that I probably wouldn't have had if I didn't drink, mm. you know, because you just wouldn't be in the in the – in the vibe, I guess. So I don't regret it. I'm not saying it was terrible or I did bad things or anything like that. But for me right now, it's just life changing. Yeah. Well, we kind of actually, to be fair, we kind of expect it of a premier to just not be on the piss. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's another, you know, it was like when ScoMo went on holidays, everyone was like, we didn't think you were allowed to, man. Like, not only do we not think you deserve one, we don't think you're allowed one. Like, yeah. you're, you're, you know, you're in charge of things. Um, so it's good. That's, that's good to hear, mate. Congratulations. Yeah, no, it's good. It's good. And I, I talk about it and people say, just shut up about it. You're evangelizing too much. So yeah. we, maybe it's not for everyone, yeah, but for yeah. me. Well, um, well, you know, thanks for joining us. Thanks, and, boys. And, you know, this, is an early, this has been an early interview, which you could have only done fresh and, and sober. Are so, you guys fresh? Yeah. Feeling, yeah. feeling a little bit fresh yep. uh, in the scheme of what things. What time do you get up in the morning? Uh Ice bath guy over here, so uh, yeah, he's up know. at five a.m. Yeah, um, I'm down. Do, at do you really do an ice bath? Plunge. Uh, plunge. Yeah, cold plunge. Um, unfortunately, I've been told I can't keep calling them ice baths. They're, uh, they they oh, don't right. meet the technical level of an What's ice bath. What's his name? Wim Hof. Wim yeah, Hof. yeah, no. Yeah, so I'm yeah. not at that. I'm at the the cold plunge. One level, of my one of my mates is a Wim Hof guy, and on our group chat mm. is constant photos of Wim Hof and cold plunges and they, that yeah. sounds like a Wim Hof guy behavior. He, posts it, he posts it he posts all his no one's yeah. interested but he posts a lot of <laughs> yeah. him coming out of ice bars yeah, and, yeah. yeah, yeah. it's pretty wild with the shakes and the group chat was called Wim Hof for a while Wim Hof yeah has anyone else got taken it up have you taken up the ice bars no no yeah. giving up alcohol is enough sort yeah. Of yeah, yeah, yeah that's enough I've done my bit I've done my bit for humanity I'm yeah. not going to keep yeah. Well, I'll get into CrossFit next. Oh, yeah, CrossFit. <laughs> Give up grog, Go get into Jim CrossFit. Chalmers. Saunas as well. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Jim Chalmers on the battle ropes. Um, thank you for joining us. We'll let you go. Thanks, boys. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris.